My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. as an incitement of violence. I was initially kept in solitary confinement for 25 days. The prosecutor's official indictment that was released early in January 2021 accused me and others of encouraging the Kobane protests of 2014. That's the voice of Jihan Erdal. He and Omer Ongen are today's guests on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. In September 2020, while on a visit to Turkey to spend time with family and to engage in research for his PhD, Erdal was detained by Turkish authorities. He had just enough time to call Ongan, his husband, in Ottawa, and tell him that the police were at the door. That was the last time they were able to speak directly to one another for almost ten months. The couple originally moved to Ottawa from Istanbul. Erdal was a student and wanted to pursue a PhD in sociology at Carleton University. Ongan was working in the corporate sector in Turkey, and the move allowed him to join a Canadian consulting firm where he does equity, diversity, and inclusion work. As well, though they lived in a progressive area in downtown Istanbul, another consideration in their decision to move abroad was recent shifts in the broader political context in Turkey towards greater hostility to LGBTQ people. Another factor was concern that Erdal might be at some risk because of his history as an activist, though they thought the risk was quite low. He was involved in student, peace, trade union, and LGBTQ movements. He was a founding member of Turkey's Green Left Party, Then he became a member of the executive committee of Turkey's third-largest political party, the left-wing People's Democratic Party, or HDP. Erdal's politics prioritize the rights of marginalized communities and are, he said, a politics of, quote, words, dialogue, conversations, and negotiations, end quote. In the context of a substantial history of political violence in Turkey, he said, quote, I believed in the potential of ending violence, end quote. Though he hadn't been involved in several years, when he was detained back in September, it was at the same time as 16 other people who had also been high-ranking members of the HDP. The charges were related to demonstrations in Turkey's Kurdish areas in 2014, protesting Ankara's refusal to take action to protect Syrian Kurds from ISIS. The only evidence presented specifically relevant to Erdal were two Facebook posts that had nothing to do with the protests. And he said that the charges as a whole are, quote, highly conjectural. It is, he said, a, quote, political case that is, quote, closely linked to high politics, to electoral politics, end quote. And those arrested are, quote, political hostages. Erdol spent the first 25 days of his detention in solitary confinement. The rest was spent at a different prison in somewhat better circumstances, but his lawyers still had to constantly fight to get him access to decent conditions. Meanwhile, on the other side of the world, Ongun got active. Unlike Erdal, he had never really been an activist, but that changed quickly. He reached out to friends and to colleagues of Erdal's at Carleton University. He put together a support committee called Free Jihan Erdal. 
The committee mobilized people to put pressure on Canadian and Turkish authorities. They did lots of media and social media work. They got statements of support from unions, academic organizations, and many other groups. They enlisted the help of lawyers in Canada and in Turkey. They raised funds to cover campaign and legal expenses and Erdal's costs. There were protests, not just in Canada, but in half a dozen other countries as well. According to Erdal, popular pressure played an important role in the improvements he was able to win in the conditions of his imprisonment. There's a good chance that the campaign also played a role in the decision that was handed down in mid-June. Erdal had a court appearance with three of the other detainees, which included his first opportunity to make a statement in his own defense. And, much to his surprise and relief and to Ongun's, Erdal and the other detainees in court that day were ordered released. The trial isn't over, so Erdal is not yet allowed to leave the country and return to Canada, and there continues to be a risk that he might be detained again. The support committee is continuing to raise funds to cover Erdal's costs while he remains stuck in Turkey without an income. As well, Erdal is currently a permanent resident in Canada, and very soon the committee will be mobilizing supporters to push the federal government to fast-track his citizenship application, which would facilitate his return home. I speak with Erdal and Ongun about their lives, about Erdal's detention, and about the campaign to free him. And please note that the connection with Erdal and Turkey cuts in and out a little bit, so please be patient with that. I am Cihan Erdal. I'm a PhD candidate in sociology at Carleton University. I was born and raised in Turkey's West Coast. My father used to work at the post office, and they also had a field with olive trees. Today, my parents live in a village, and I have one younger brother. I moved to Istanbul in 2007 to study literature. Later, I discovered my passion for sociology, began taking courses from the sociology department, and decided to do my master's and PhD in this discipline. During my years as a student, I became a youth activist and a human rights advocate for marginalized communities, which later defined my personal and professional path as a researcher and scholar on youth experiences. Youth, LGBTQ, ecologists, students have been my passion and concern. So I will describe myself as a rights activist and a person of peace and nonviolence. This is Omar Ongun, Jihan Erdal's spouse. Jihan and I have been together for 10 years now. And I myself am a consultant at a company here in Canada, in Ottawa, a consultancy firm. I focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I work with leaders, people leaders, team members from around Canada, US, and the rest of the world. And I am currently living in Ottawa. So we somehow are managing this now long-distance relationship since Jihan was put and then released from prison. Before we talk about the detention and the campaign, I want to learn a little bit more about the two of you. How did you end up moving to Canada? We had what I can describe as probably a, a relatively privileged life in Turkey. I was working for a corporate and we, we had our own place. We were living in downtown Istanbul. We were kind of in this bubble of, you know, more kind of liberal thinking and more progressive and open-minded, a community of artists, friends, activists. But of course, even though you are in that so-called bubble, 
still, we noticed a lot of recent developments in Turkey in terms of how it was becoming very difficult for LGBTQ community to survive and live peacefully, even just to exist. Also, academically, we were kind of noticing that an international, global, and in this case, a Canadian experience might be important for our future and just expanding those perspectives. And also for me at work, I always wanted to work on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that kind of required me to also live and work from abroad because there were very limited opportunities in Turkey. So probably the sociopolitical and economical developments in Turkey forced us to reconsider our decision to live and work in Turkey. So we were looking for these opportunities. And we were not extremely concerned about Jihan's risk, but there was a risk as a political activist, and there was always a risk. But that wasn't our main concern. But I think that also played a small role in how and why we decided to move to Canada. We still are very excited about Canada as a society. I know Canada has its problems, but definitely we are excited about the new generation. We're excited about the recent progressive developments, conversations, dialogue that has been happening in our country. One of the main reasons that I had decided to continue my academic career in Canada was my current doctoral advisor, supervisor, Jacqueline Kennelly. The political, social trajectory of Turkey forced us to search for new paths. But at the same time, I discovered the academic work of Professor Kennelly, and it made me quite excited to see her theoretical, methodological pathway. I remember well that I told myself she's the person that I really wanted to work Tell listeners a little bit more about your academic work. My master thesis was focused on young people's experiences of inequality within political space or other spaces of life. And I focused on specifically the age, gender, and experience-based hierarchy that young people are exposed to within political movements in Turkey in the 2010s. Indeed, my activist work, my experiences, my involvement, witnessing friends' experiences motivated me to ask why young people experience inequalities not only inside but also inside political movements. After I completed my master thesis, I wanted to continue working in social movements, the sociology of social movements and sociology of youth. And I extended the frame, the fieldwork of my research. And with my current advisor, Professor Jacqueline Kennelly, I started working on young people's experiences in political movements from Athens, Istanbul, and Paris. So it turned into European research. And I could say that the main areas of my research involve the sociology of youth, the sociology of social movements, the historical generations, historical and sociological generations. These are the field of works that I have been working on. What have your political involvements looked like over the years? I got involved in activism in 2008, and I have involved in student movements, peace movements, LGBTQ movements, and the struggle of unions in Turkey 
And I always try to build intersectional spaces between marginalized communities in Turkey and in Europe. I was a founding member of Green Left Party, Turkey's Greens, between 2011 and 14. And then after the invitation from HDP, People's Democratic Party, and the decision of party, I became the member of executive committee of HDP, which is still Turkey's third biggest party. I always defended the view that words, dialogue, conversations, and negotiations are necessary to create a world that is really different from the 20th century, which was an era of violence. When I was a member of the Green Party and the HDP's Central Executive Committee, I always believed in, in the potential of ending violence in Turkey. Turkey has a long history of historical conflicts. So I believed in the potential of ending violence and I tried to contribute to a peace process during 2010s to increase in the number of citizens who hear, talk to and understand one another have changed the country's fate in favor of the poor who are considered surplus who are ignored. I enthusiastically supported a transition from the existing reality in which young people die or young people are not involved in politics to a democratic, peaceful atmosphere in which Turkish, Kurdish, Armenian, Laos and other young people of different ethnic, religious, sexual and political identities argue and act together in Turkey. When we came to Canada, Jihan and I immediately joined a local community group, an association in Canada called Voices in Dialogue. Both of us are very excited and passionate about what you can achieve by simply getting yourself exposed to the other learning about others' differences, experiences, struggles. And, you know, there are so many things in life that, speaking of privileges, probably bring those blind spots to all of us. And you just don't see what your neighbors are going through or the people that are living within the same community or same town. And, you know, I mean, think about like here, we are, I am in Ottawa, and from one neighborhood to the other, you can see how some communities are just racialized or marginalized and experiencing a completely different, having a completely different world experience. And are these really translating into politics? Are these words being heard in the halls of the parliaments? What were the circumstances of your detention? Amir and I had to travel to Turkey to visit my elderly parents and to conduct some basic field work for my doctorate. I was seized in Istanbul in September in 2020 because of two social media posts seen by Turkish authorities as an incitement of violence. I was initially kept in solitary confinement for 25 days. The prosecutor's official indictment that was released early in January 2021 accused me and others of encouraging the Kobane protests of 2014 when thousands of people took to the streets in southeastern Turkey to protest against Ankara's inaction in protecting Syrian Kurds against ISIS. I was arrested and detained based on false accusations that knowingly and willfully contributed to the committing of unlawful acts which occurred between 6-8 October 2014. 
it was beyond uh, Kafkaesque absurdity. The indictment only lists two pieces of evidence against me, two Facebook posts, and neither of those refer in any way to the protests. The first prison they took us was inhuman, I mean, for 25 days. It was a really small room. I couldn't get letters, other basic needs for three weeks. It's really a horrible form of, you know, prisons. No human beings deserve to be there. I indeed plan to write more about that experience, especially the first prison. And after some efforts by the parliamentarians, we were sent to another prison, which was better than the first one. But especially because of the pandemic, we lived in really hard conditions. For instance, it was impossible to see other people, other members of executive committee during our imprisonment. So we continuously struggled to have our rights, to practice our rights as prisoners. It was an ongoing struggle from the beginning to the end. And the people who are still in prison continue their struggle for their rights. There's a family member that's outside and that was trying to support Jihan and trying to find ways to make sure that he's safe. What I learned was that, yes, they give you food in prison, but it's never enough. They don't give you any books. I mean, they have a library, but you have limited access to it. Yes, they have a computer with no internet connection, of course, but you only have few hours if you're an academic. So we always had to fight for all of these rights together with our lawyers and just making sure that he has this basic access to like basic materials, such as food and books and stuff, or clothes. Like You're only allowed to take, what, two or three t-shirts or shirts, and meaning that our lawyers had to push for more all the time, and we had to do fundraising because you literally pay to the prison for access to this stuff. After the international and national campaign that was organized for me and for my friends, efforts by our lawyers succeeded. Those support from people in Turkey and across the globe, and especially the academic support for me, don't exist. Maybe I will experience worse conditions after our application to United Nations the Turkish authorities were aware of our situation much more and they replied to our queries, our demands. During the process, we succeeded in our you know, basic needs. But for instance, direct communication with Omer couldn't take place. In last month, I demanded from the prison that I want to speak with Omer. I want to call him and uh, provided them an evidence of our partnership with involvement of our lawyers, but then I was released, it, it couldn't end. And what did the Solidarity Campaign involve? I'm just going to start by a quick quote from former Secretary General of Amnesty Canada. Alex Neal told me, hey Omar, these are the moments when family members have to become true human rights advocates and activists. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was active in society and community, but I was never really considering myself an activist. 
What happened was that on September 25, I received a call from Jihan and he said, the police is at my door. They are taking me away. And then that was it. That was the last time that I heard from him. And I was sitting on my bed and I was immediately thinking, what am I going to do? I was sitting in a cold winter night in Canada, Ottawa, in my bed and just thinking, what do I do? I started thinking, I need to reach out to people. I need to speak up. I need to share our story. I need to talk to media. I need to talk to any organization because this is ridiculous. And it's very clear that this is arbitrary and unlawful and we cannot let this happen. So I immediately spoke with Carleton University and university has been exceptionally supportive. Jihan's professor, Jacqueline Kennelly, our chairs of the departments, their president himself, everyone has been very supportive and they released the statements the next day. And then more and more Canadian organizations, grassroots organizations or nationwide organizations, such as Canadian Sociological Association, QP, that's the Canadian Union of Public Employees. Jihan is a QP member as well, QP 4600. They all made statements in our local community here in Ottawa that we were part of. We organized a quick Zoom group and then we started meeting every day just to check in and chat and strategize. And I put together a strategy of whom I should reach, what I should say. I started writing down the facts and the whole story. And today, after nine months, we have two websites. We have social media accounts. We were able to raise thousands of dollars that were very important and crucial for both campaign, but also for Jihan's costs and their legal expenses. We have about 30 organizations that made statements We have five lawyers working for us and helping us in pro bono, supporting us. We organize events in six or seven different countries, including Brazil, Switzerland, France, Greece, Germany, Austria. People organized free Jihan Erdal events. And then United Nations accepted our petition for an urgent call for action. And we are hoping to get a decision from them very soon on Jihan's behalf for the entire case. So again, it was thousands of people that tweeted, that contributed, that reached out, wrote letters to Jihan. It was basically the success of just ordinary citizens. And of course, organizations are key. What do you think made the campaign as successful as it was? I can say a few things that made this successful. One was probably me being very open and honest and transparent about everything. And whatever information we had, we shared it with the public. Whatever questions people asked us, we were confident and happy and open about the responses that we provided. And the other one was, this was not only about Jihan. Yes, this was about him for sure. There's a personal side to it. But this was also about democracy, human rights. This is also about a researcher, a scholar being jailed arbitrarily. This was also about a queer person whose life is at risk in places like Turkey. This was about love, right? Love wins, solidarity wins. And I think people through this, like Jihan became one of those symbols where people really said, in order for us to protect the values that we have in our societies today. We need to speak up. Another fact probably was just offering different ways people can support. My colleagues, some people called me and said, what can I do? And instead of just saying, oh, all you have to do is just find an organization and push them for a statement, 
versus here are five, six different things that you can do. You can share this on social media. You can donate to the campaign. You can put me in contact with a journalist or media. You can write a letter, right? Providing people with different options, whatever works for you. And Jihan, how did your release play out? (laughs) Indeed, it was surprising for almost everyone. We are not expecting such a decision from the panel of judges. I appeared before the court on 15th of June. It was the second phase of the trials. I made a speech there. I thought my academic work, I talked about Jihan Erdal myself, what I have done in my life, throughout my life, what I have defended throughout my life. I defended my activist work, my academic work. I explained how I view the violence, how I approached politics, activism, why I had involved in HTP at that time. So surprisingly, they released us, four of us were released. Many people in Turkey are aware that this case is highly conjectural, closely linked to high politics, electoral politics the presidential elections, which is going to be held in two years. So this is a political case, and we were political hostages, and I was one of them as a young, queer, ecologist person. Now I'm relatively safe, but the risk of going back to prison is still alive, and the hearings are postponed to September 2021. Given Jihan's release and the current situation, what is the campaign doing and what are you asking supporters to do? We're working hard to make sure that Jihan has a setup in terms of a place where he can live. You know, this wasn't planned for us, right, that he wouldn't be able to leave Turkey. So just making sure that he can continue his studies. So we're meeting with Carlton leaders at university soon. And at the same time, working hard with our lawyers here in Ottawa on hopefully getting Jihan's citizenship application approved soon, sooner rather than later, so that this can bring Canada's demands, this can make Canada's inquiries more present and clearer to Turkey. And hopefully we will have him back home soon. Right now, our campaign is still active, especially with the fundraising. So any donations are important because we are continuing until Jihan has an income, which we don't know will be possible at all while he's in Turkey. We are trying to support him through the campaign money. And, you know, all of these steps require bringing some expenses. So we are trying to make sure we can cover them. And the other thing is we will be submitting the citizenship application soon. So people writing letters to the Canadian government will be important for us continuing to write letters to the Turkish embassy here in Ottawa or to the Turkish officials in Turkey to really make sure that Jihan is fully released and he is free to come back to Ottawa will be important and we'll be sharing more of those next steps pretty soon. You have been listening to my interview with Jihan Erdal and Omer Ongen. To learn more about the Free Jihan Erdal campaign, go to freejihanerdal.wordpress.com. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. 
I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.